Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. For the Lord God, omnipotent reigns. Hallelujah. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord. Hallelujah. He shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. May recognize that? These words are lyrics from the song Hallelujah Chorus by Handel. And the interesting thing is that when he wrote these lyrics, he was probably at an all-time low in his life. His right side was paralyzed. His money had been spent. He was so far in debt that prison was the threat. And he was almost ready to give up. And he penned these lyrics that became perhaps his greatest work. Now, those of you that didn't recognize it might better under recognize it had I said something like, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Except for I would have done it on key had I been Handel, but I'm not, so I did the best I could. That song, though, was penned by a man who was right near the bottom of his barrel, is my point. He was right near the bottom of things. It was almost as bad as it could get in his life. He was faced with a jail. He was broke. He was penniless. Despite the success in his life, he had come to the point where he was down to nothing. And yet still, he found it within him. He found a place within him to get close enough to God to pin down the lyrics, Hallelujah. Lord God, omnipotent reigns. The kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our Lord forever. Hallelujah. He shall reign forever and ever. Where did he find that? Tonight, you may be in a low season in your life. Maybe you've been diagnosed with an illness and you wonder what medically the future holds. Maybe you're faced with financial complications and wondering how uh, the money plays out looking forward. Maybe you're faced with a career problem. You don't know what your job or your future looks like. Perhaps you just face general depression or general anxiety and you just don't know how to carry on with your life. And I'm here tonight, though, with good news for you from the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. From the Word of God, there is hope. God can work through you in this situation. He can work in you in the midst of your pain and your struggle. You know, sometimes the Christian life can be bittersweet. Bitter, because when there is a a struggle or when there is suffering or when there is pain... It's bitter. You know, a lot of times we come into church and we come into our gatherings together and we try to put on a big smile and a big strong broad shoulder and we try to pretend like nothing's wrong and like nothing can shake me. I'm a Christian, but there's nothing Christian about the attitude nothing can shake me. In fact, it's probably the exact opposite of what a Christian should do when they come into the house of the Lord, they should be at that point in time most able to say, I I can't. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I've got problems. I've got adversity. I've got situations. I've got pains. And I need God and I need the family of God to come alongside of me and pick me up. And so it can be bitter because, let's be honest, suffering is suffering because it's suffering. 
And it ain't a happy time to be suffering. But bittersweet is the Christian life because the sweet savor is the fact that when you look back at your suffering, when you get through the other side and you look back, you can see the savor and favor of God as He worked in and through your life in that situation. We're going to hear from the Apostle Paul this evening and his experience personally in suffering and in adversity. And we're going to see how sometimes your perspective can change your view of your suffering. So please stand and honor the reading of the Holy Word of God from the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my change, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Let us pray. Father God, God, you are the God of the guy with the ox gold this morning, Lord Jesus. You are the God majestic who can take a farm implement and a farmer and turn it into a warrior with a weapon, Lord God. And you're still the same God today who empowered and emboldened Shamgar thousands of years ago. And so, God, we cry out to you and we ask that you would do what only you could do in this place, and that is stir among your people. God, calls us to draw nearer to you that we might see just what it is that we need to do with our adversity, Lord Jesus. God, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all the great things that you do and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Paul really gives us two realities about adversity here in this section of this epistle. And the first is this, adversity advances God's kingdom. Paul here is really going to, to challenge us. He's, he's going to cause us to look at the contribution of our adversity to the kingdom of God. In other words, he's going to cause us to look at our situations and look at the big picture, so to speak. So, so we said this morning, your, your story is only important in as much as it's wrapped up in the bigger story of the kingdom of God. And that's sort of what Paul is saying about his adversity as we look here. He's sort of saying, my adversity really only matters in as much in the bigger picture of what it does for the kingdom of God. He's saying that really we tend to view adversity as a way of halting or slowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God, however, can use our adversity to put the gospel in places that you didn't know it could go. In verses 12 and 13, he kind of opens up with a statement. He said, but I want you to know. 
I want you to know, and it's kind of an introduction. So he's coming out of kind of his salutations in the first 11 verses of chapter 1 of Philippians. And with, and with verse 12, he's essentially springboarding the rest of the chapter with this statement, I want you to know. So he's kind of saying, these things that I'm about to tell you, you know, they're the reason that I'm writing to you. These are the meat of why I'm writing this letter. So he says, I want you to know. And essentially says, friends, what I want you to know is that as a result of my sufferings, the gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading like crazy. And so what are these circumstances? Well, he's, he's serving a prison sentence. He, he's been assigned to what would be called the Praetorian Guard. Uh, the Praetorian Guard, these, these are the elite troops in the Roman century. They were stationed at the emperor's palace. They, their job was to guard Caesar and to watch the prisoners who had appealed to Caesar. So in Roman law, if you were a citizen of Rome and you were facing trial and you wanted to, you had the authority to appeal to all the lesser courts straight to Caesar. And Roman law said that you were allowed to appeal to Caesar. So this is what Paul, if you remember in his missionary journeys as he makes his way trying to get to Caesar and he stands before all the other courts, that's the reason is he's taking the steps to get to Caesar. And so when he pins this letter of Philippians to the church at Philippi, that's where he's at. He's there in the emperor's palace having appealed to Caesar and he's awaiting his trial with Caesar. And so these guys who were guarding him were the top of the line. I mean, imagine if you blended the, the brightest students of West Point with the Navy SEALs and they met the Secret Service, okay? These are the elite of the elite of the elite troops in the Roman century. Here's the thing about the Praetorian Guard, though. They only served a 12-year term in the Praetorian Guard. And at the end of that, now keep in mind, these are the cream of the crop, so to speak. These are the guys that are handpicked to serve in the palace of Caesar. And so at the end of their 12-year term, they would then transition into other important careers. So political offices, senators, governors, that kind of thing. Uh, they would possibly be high-ranking business positions. They would be the head of large forces or large troop commands. And so they would go from being in the Praetorian Guard to important positions at that point. They would be hand-selected to get the best positions in Rome. They were the movers and the shakers, is what I want to, what I want to say. They were kind of the future of Rome was going to be shaped by these guys. And so, honestly, if you were going to change Rome, this would be a group to start with, wouldn't you think? If you were looking to advance something in the, in the area of Rome, the Praetorian Guard would be the perfect place to start because they were going to be the leaders in the future. So you would start by sowing the seeds there. And look what God had done for the Apostle Paul. God had placed the Praetorian Guards in shackles, in four-hour rotations with the greatest preacher missionary since Jesus Christ. Think about that. Paul wasn't chained to them to be watched. They were chained to him to be preached to. According to verse 13, what we see is that the Word of God was not returning void. The glory of Christ was being revealed, and the newly converted guards were not only spreading it through the palace, but they were taking it other places. What we see is that Paul said, folks, let me tell you, I got something to tell you, Philippi. 
I got something to tell you about what's going on. They thought they threw me in prison to hold me in shackles, but what they did was brought me a captive audience to preach the word of God 24 hours a day, and this dude is chained to my wrist and can't be more than four steps away from me. He ain't got no choice but to hear me preach about Jesus. He ain't got no choice but to hear what I got to say. Folks, this ain't no adversity. This is opportunity for me. You know, on the surface, it appeared that being put in prison was a bad thing. I mean, think about it from a logistical standpoint. If you're looking to spread the gospel, why would you take the best traveling evangelist out of the field, right? I mean, Paul was no doubt the most effective traveling evangelist of that time. And God essentially pulled him out of the mission field and put him in prison. And it seems like the gospel would slow down, but that really isn't what happened. Really, the seeds that were sown by Paul here, if you wanted to get right down to it, it would be about 200 years from there before Constantine would relieve persecution of the Roman church and make Christianity the religion of Rome of that time. And you could say that these seeds that Paul were sowing here would be what would lead to that in the future. And so God is using Paul and God is allowing Paul to sit there. And you would think the gospel would slow down, but Paul says, no, no, no. If I was going to try to preach to the Praetorian Guard, I wouldn't have been able to just waltz up to them and preach to them. I wouldn't have been able to get there and get them to listen to me. I wouldn't have had this audience, but because God put me in these shackles, God allows me to preach to them. They ain't got no choice but to listen. So what's this mean to us? You know, I don't know what you're dealing with. I know that everyone is dealing with some kind of adversity in their life. That's just, I don't have to be all that smart to know that you're dealing with some kind of adversity in your life. Some of you, maybe it feels worse than others right now. Some of you, your time's coming. But we always have adversity in our life, and I don't know what yours is. But what I do know is that God can use it to further his gospel. God can use it to further his glory. You may not like your boss or your teacher, or your co-worker, or your wife, or your pastor, or your deacon. Just kidding about those last three, by the way. I hope you like your wife and your pastor and your deacon. But if you don't, all jokes are, you may not like your situation that you're in. You may not like where you're at. Your boss, your teacher, these people that you're chained up to, but God has got you chained up to them for a reason. God doesn't have you chained up to them by some happenstance. God doesn't place you in this situation and chain you four feet from these people for no reason at all. He's got you chained up there because you are His apostle in that situation. You are there for the purpose of furthering the kingdom of God. So this situation that feels like it could thwart the gospel in your life, you say, I just don't know how to be a shining light through this situation. I don't know how to spread the gospel in this situation. The first thing you have to do is that this situation is not a problem. It's an opportunity. It's how you perceive what you're dealing with. Yes, it hurts sometimes to deal with things. But when your perspective is heavenly and it becomes, what can I do in this situation to proclaim Jesus? The gospel can be spread and the kingdom can be advanced in any situation in your life. Paul wraps up this section in verse 14. And he says, not only is the gospel spreading, but the new believers, they ain't scared of nothing. 
that ain't exactly what it says, but it's the Jason walked around the church and imagined what I thought he was saying. He's saying, these new believers, you will not believe what they do. They are so bold to preach the word of God. They, they, they don't care. They'll go and talk about Jesus anywhere. They're not worried about what happens to them. And the reason is because they heard the gospel while I was in prison. And they said, if Paul is going to preach while he's chained to me, I can preach in any situation because obviously his God is so big that chains don't bother him no more. Obviously, Paul is so emboldened by his God that the chains that hold him back are an opportunity for him. They, they had come to know Jesus through ordinary messages. They had snuck into a church service that Paul was holding in the back door in Rome. They may have walked out the back door having known Jesus but never been willing to share him. But what Paul says is because they came to know the gospel of Christ while they were in their chains to me, they are bold to go out and preach the word of God. They realize there is no fear in spreading the gospel of Jesus. And so adversity advances the kingdom, but I want to also look at the other side of the coin. Adversity also reveals our priorities. In other words, in the midst of trials and sufferings, you kind of find out what's really important to you, don't you? You kind of get a gut check, you might say. How many of you have ever been through a situation where you found out more about yourself in adversity than you knew before the adversity came? Right? Absolutely. You find out. A dear friend of mine at this church, I'm not going to share his name, but was explaining a situation in his life. And I said, I don't, I don't know how you did it. And he said, you just do it. You just do it. You find out there's something inside of you that you didn't know was there before you went in that situation. And I thought, boy, how many times did Paul get to the other side of a prison sentence and say, I didn't know I could do it, but I just did it. And the gospel was proclaimed and God was glorified in that situation and he's still being glorified in those situations. Adversity reveals certain things about who we are and we learn that there's something inside of us that we didn't know was there before as we learn to do what? Depend on God in that adversity. You read through verses 15 through 17 and if you read through it, and you start to let it sink in what Paul is writing in verse 15 through 17, you could almost get to the end of it and go, can you believe what Paul is saying? Can you? Paul is in prison. And what he's saying is that essentially there are preachers in the land that while Paul is in prison, they're kind of rubbing it in a little bit. They're trying to take advantage of the fact that Paul is not out there preaching, that he kind of seems to have... It disappeared. He, see, he doesn't call them false prophets. Now, I want to be clear. Paul doesn't send the letter out and say, there are people that are preaching a false gospel in my absence. You need to send Timothy to correct the doctrine. He just says, these are, these are men that are preaching God, but they're, they're so consumed with the fact that I'm in prison and they're taking advantage of it to try and further their gospel and minimize my hold and my popularity. Uh, in other words, they're kind of rubbing salt in the wound just a little bit while Paul is in prison. And they add affliction to his bondage is how he uses the words. And so basically what's happened is that Paul's in prison and they kind of see a vacancy 
in the power and in the, and in the leadership and in the hierarchy of the church there. And it kind of really spurns from a jealousy would be where I would think it spurns from. I mean, they're kind of looking at it and they're saying, whew, this old big shot preacher Paul, here he comes rolling up in town. And now the Roman guard is talking about him. And now everybody's talking about this big shot preacher Paul. Old Paul the preacher, what the, here he comes again. And these preachers were out and they were, they were doing this and they were preaching Jesus still, but they might say something like... Uh, Church, let us pray for Brother Paul as he sit in his bondage. But you know it might be best for all of us that Paul be in bondage. He seems to cause trouble everywhere he goes. He's being stoned and he's been run out of town at night and there are rumors from Jerusalem about him preaching to these Gentiles. And so it may be better for all that Paul remain in shackles. But let us pray. It's kind of a, a false deal. They weren't saying anything bad about Jesus. They were just kind of anti-Paul. They were almost looking to further themselves by afflicting Paul. And Paul says, what it really does to me is it, it just adds affliction to my bondage that these people that I love, these Christians that preach the same gospel, they preach it from selfish ambition. They don't preach it from sincerity. They don't preach it from a real place. They, they have these selfish ambitions with it. But then Paul says, there are also some that I can depend on to stay true and know that I preach, to know that I'm where I'm at for the defense of the gospel. In other words, there are those who understand that the only reason I'm here is because by taking the gospel all the way to Caesar, I'm going to get to share Jesus with every single government official in the Roman government on my way up. I am going to get to defend the gospel in front of all of them. It's why if you read through the book of Acts as this is going on in Paul's life, you'll find him standing on trial at one time. And if you read through it, the two officials get together and they say, had he not appealed to Caesar, we would let him go. Paul could have had his freedom, except he didn't want his freedom. He wanted to preach Jesus all the way to Rome, which would ultimately lead to his death. So he traded his opportunity at freedom for an opportunity to preach Jesus. And he's saying, there are those out there that preach with selfish ambition. And there are those out there that preach, that understand what I'm doing, that have stood behind me 100%. But here's what I want you to see in verse 18. What does Paul kind of say? He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether in falsehood or in truth, Christ is preached. In this I rejoice. Yes, I'll rejoice. You see, in Paul's adversity, and most likely in your adversity as well, there are going to be two types of people in your life. There are those who are truly in your corner that will preach the truth to you in love, and there are those who will look to bring you down. That's what you're going to find in your adversity. There are people that will be behind you and beside you, and there are people that will be in front of you looking for selfish ambition is the only reason that they'll be there for you. For those of you who haven't lived long enough to have learned that truth, I apologize. 
For those of you that have, you just said amen in your mind because you remembered those two type of people in your life. And so how does Paul respond to those two type of people? He says, as long as they preach Jesus, I don't care. I will rejoice. I'm not going to get upset that they put me down as long as when they're done putting me down, they put Jesus up. I'm okay with it. Paul says, I'd rather they preach Jesus after saying something bad about me than that they not preach Jesus at all. So let them talk about me if that's what gets them there. Because so, what Paul understood was he knew that when that old stiff-necked preacher got done saying, Paul causes trouble everywhere he goes and we should pray for him. He turned around and said, but the Jesus that Paul preaches about. And he would go on to preach about Jesus and the gospel would continue to spread. And Paul said, I, I don't really, I don't care what they say about me. As long as they say that Jesus saves, as long as they spread the gospel of Jesus. You see, Paul is able to respond to his adversity in this way because he is not consumed with his reputation. He is not consumed with his happiness. He's not consumed with his ministry from a professional standpoint. He's not consumed with any of that. All he's consumed with is the gospel of Jesus Christ and that God would get all the glory in his life. So if God gets the glory and the gospel advances, then it was all worth it. If God doesn't get the glory, then this adversity didn't do what it was supposed to in my life. Oh, that we could adopt that attitude in our own lives. You see, we see something revealed about Paul and his adversity. He was not concerned with Paul as much as he was concerned with Jesus. That's the big point that we see from Paul in these verses is he was way less concerned with Paul and way more concerned with Jesus. And so how can we, in our situation, glorify God? If you're focusing on your situation and how it makes you feel, what, what it makes you feel like, maybe you need to shift that focus and see what can Christ do with my situation? How can Christ be glorified in my situation? Warren Wiersbe once said one of my favorite quotes, your attitude reflects your aptitude. In other words, the way you respond in your situation directly reflects how you come through that situation. Paul would write nearly half of his epistles that would become New Testament letters from a prison cell. Nearly half of them were written from a prison cell in Rome. About to die is where he wrote most of them. Yet he wouldn't let his circumstances stop him. He would praise God in those storms. And so I ask you this evening, whatever you're dealing with, whatever it is, health, wealth, finance, sickness, Family problems, marital problems, friend problems, I don't care. Whatever it is. Whatever your problem is, I want you to stop tonight and I want you to ask yourself two questions about your adversity. How can the kingdom of God be advanced in my adversity? And how can my attitude about this adversity give God glory? Because when we learn to shift our perspective to how can God be glorified in this situation, that is when our adversity becomes our opportunity. 
That's when we no longer sit feeling sorry for ourselves and stand and proclaim Jesus in all things. Because let me just tell you something. And I've said it before, and I will likely say it again. The very fact that you sit here tonight tells me that God has not let you down yet. The very fact that you're looking back at me tells me that God has not let you down yet. And in my Bible, in the book of Hebrews, it says that he never will. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. He's not going to let you down. So let's let this adversity be an opportunity in our lives. Let us pray. Father God, we stand before you, God. And we realize sometimes it hurts. God, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes we feel hard-pressed on all sides. We don't know where the next breath comes from. We don't know where the next paycheck comes from. We don't know how to get out of the next fight. We don't know how to deal with our boss. We don't know how to deal with ourselves and our own sin. We don't know how to get out of the suffering, Lord God. We just don't know. But praise be to you, God, that in your word we see that while we don't know, you do know. We see that you are most glorified in the fact that we don't know and that we have to depend on you and you alone, Jesus. God, that on our knees, bowing in reverence and humility to you is where we have an opportunity to stand and rise up with you, God. It's where we learn to depend on you the most. So God, if there be someone in this house tonight who needs to allow the kingdom to advance through their suffering, God, you embolden them, you convict them, and allow them to lay it at your feet, Lord Jesus. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org.